What is up and welcome back to the Fortman Podcast. I am your host, which I'm the host every time, so don't know why I said that, but I uh, love to have in-person guests with me and this weekend uh, we have Elo Conference, which when, when we're filming this, but when this airs, it will have passed and I'm sure it was an amazing time, but I'm so thankful to have Nick Kane joining me and Nick, you're my second Australian guest that I've had on the, on the podcast. So I'm really excited to We're really to lifting the you. quality of the podcast. You get enough Australians in here and all of a sudden everything becomes classier. That's true. That's true. You know that I, I literally, if I could have one accent, it would be an Australian accent. Uh, give, us a, give us a trial. Hello, mate. Mm, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Mate, I think, I think mate's the only, the only Australian like, thing I know. Yeah. M- mate and bloke. 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 It's like, hey, what are you blokes up to? Um, it's like universal for guys. Is, blo- is that an appropriate word? Bloke? Yeah. Yeah, bloke. It's like, hey, blo- what are you blokes up to? Um, I, I thought bloke was like a more of like a demeaning thing, but it's not. No, nah, no, nah, it's kind of, it's generally amongst your mates. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's but it refers to guys. Yeah. The, the equivalent used to be Sheila for girls, but that would get you punched out. That would get you punched out. We're good, we're good to know. Well, I'll, I'll, I've never, I've actually. You can stick with blokes. I've never thought about blokes. So, so when I, when I talk to you, I'll refer to you as, as a bloke. And yeah. We're, so what I say, we're blokes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we're friends? Like an ultimate compliment would be, yeah, he's a really good bloke. Okay. Cool. So he's like a really good dude. Yeah. Cool. I like that. Awesome. <laughs> well, if you're listening to this and you're like, who in the world has this amazing voice and he sounds like a movie narrator, <laughs> this is Nick Kane and he's the husband of Christine Kane, which I'm sure you have heard of Christine and maybe watched and listened to a, a ton of things she's done. And it's really cool because we are similar and we're different. We're both married to, um, you know, very dominant women who go out and travel and, and preach the word. And um, maybe when I met Sadie married into it, um, I had known that's, that that's what she did. What's the, um, you know, so obviously you're married to, to Christine. What's the, um, you know, when y'all got married, was she always the way that she is now? And how, you know, how do you kind of help her with all the ministry things that she does? Yeah. Chris, uh, so I got saved late. So I got saved at 25 ended up at Bible college at about 27. Um, so Chris by that stage was already running um, large youth events, uh, evangelistic youth events around Australia. So she was already preaching and teaching and doing all that sort of stuff. And um, she, one, everybody knew Christine. She was a passionate, fiery Greek um, evangelist and she was always at 100%. And uh, she came into our class one day and did a guest lecture on community-based evangelism. And instead of being sort of in her sort of community um, sort of jeans and sloppy shirt, whatever, um, she was all glammed up because she'd been to some community meeting. And it was like, okay, I'm sold. I want one of them, which was great. Um, except she was full on and passionate and absolutely totally committed to the call of God. So I had to kind of worm my way into her life. Just I, I kept on appearing everywhere she was. And then uh, she would ask soft, romantic questions, probably just like Sadie. It's like, okay, so you're cute. The sex would be great, but I'm doing more single for God than most married people I know. So why should I take a chance on you? Um, so my background sales, so I'm not quite sure what I said, but it worked. Um, 
but then we, we've always been partners in ministry. Um, initially, I, I was in sales and she was continuing to do her um, youth stuff around Australia. When we started to travel internationally, we made the commitment that, okay, we'd do it as a family and go from there. And um, we are about as different a personality as you could possibly imagine. Um, Christine is Greek and everything is full on. Everything's 110%. Um, when we first got married, I would wake up and she would have 20 questions for me. And when we were first married, I would try to answer them. And then I said, no, no, um, bed is not the place that I answer any questions. Um, there are a couple of things that happen in bed. <laughs> one of them sleep. The other one also starts with S. S. <laughs> and apart from that, leave, leave it alone. It's like no questions to a coffee. Um, well, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, uh, no questions other than other yeah. than the other two. <laughs> yeah. Other than hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, we've always we've always if we, if we get ministry right, um, then she writes teachers and mothers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she's the most inspirational person uh, that we have. Um, she's obviously charismatic, gifted, anointed to lead and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she doesn't like having to de de deal with the details. She's better at details than I am. Um, she's just her natural sort of perfectionist gift allows her when she gets into it to be better at the details but then she gets off the big picture so um if we if we get it right she writes teachers and mothers so we do it take care of all the administrative stuff and then at the end of it like we had a an all staff meeting this week with all of our team all across the world and we we unleash her at the end to inspire everybody and get everybody ready to to take on the world yeah Man, that is so cool. I didn't, I did not, I did not know that about the uh, about, about the Bible college story. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, yeah, I mean, she, you can, I mean, like you said, I I can easily see how that's kind of evolved over the last. You know, y'all been doing that for the last twenty plus years together. Twenty seven. Twenty seven years. Did you ever? Was that ever something early on where you, like, you know, maybe struggled with that of like, you know, because I've I've had so many people say to me, and and it really doesn't bother me. Um, but obviously, if Sadie's the one that's you know, speaking, I'm more so backstage, so she's clearly getting more, whatever attention, or whatever, because you know she was well known before we got married. I was not, you know. Um, but there's, there's people can assume that that would just, you know, make you feel less than, or that would make you feel intimidated, or that make you, you know, just the insecurity that, that as a man that you could feel like that of having having your wife kind of in in that spotlight. I guess you could say. Was that ever something that you kind of walked that early on in marriage where you are traveling through Australia and internationally and she's the one doing it and you're just like, you know, you're really there supporting her? Yeah. Um, it, it's never been an issue to me. Um, I always, people, we, would, we would go to pastor's conference and particularly um, in some places in Europe where she would speak and everybody would be inspired and motivated and then we'd go to a green room and they'd ignore her and talk to me. Uh, or, and and I'm, I'm sure you've had a, you've I've had people go, um, do you want to do it? Do you want to speak? Do you, why don't you speak? 
Oh, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> everywhere we go. <laughs> and my answer is, why would you use a BB gun if you've got a 12 gauge? Yeah. Um, she's a much better tool for that job than I am. Yeah. Um, and if I was up there speaking, you would all be asleep. And she's up there speaking and you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. So let her do what she's great at and I'll do what I'm great at. And if we partner like that, it may not look like it has traditionally looked in some aspects of the church, but we get to achieve, we get, we multiply yeah. the, the effectiveness because um, we, we need to motivate and build the church not only with guys but with women as well. Yeah. They've got a whole different set of call and a whole different set of abilities and they reach their 50% of the population. Yeah. Um, so they're 50% of the workforce and 50% of the people that we need to reach. So le let's use all the tools in the toolbox um, and, and let's use them, use them right. Like, yeah. Hammer's not always the, the best tool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you because, know, you know, like just like you said, people will say things like that and I'm always like, I mean, if you have a side room with five people, I'll, I'll go do that. But I'm not like I'm not about to go speak to <laughs> I'm with ten, you. tens of thousands of people. That's just not my thing. And you know, like you said, Sage is clearly more gifted to that than I am. Um, but I don't even even from a gifting standpoint, that's I don't enjoy that. I mean, mm. you know, it's just that that sense of like I don't feel like that's what I'm called to do. Like Absolutely. I don't I don't feel like I'm very articulate with things from from a standpoint of like crafting a message and the punchline here and like just how to make it all come together i'm more of just a one-on-one -on -one, hey let's go through this evangelism and discipleship and actually how are you living your life rather than crafting a message that's, i just don't feel like that's my gifting yes yeah, so when people say that i'm like well you know like you said i'm not say is more gifted at the than i am so why would i like why would i be up there because she's you know more clearly more effective so <laughs> absolutely I, and I'm, I'm the same as you is like i I lead our staff, so I have to craft um, messages to communicate culture and communicate direction and communicate vision. Um, but that's within my tight sphere. Um, put me on a stage, and I'm just completely out of my depth. It's not it's like you. Yeah. It's not what I feel like I'm called to do. Or it's not what I feel um, is the best use of my time. Yeah. Um, because for me, like everybody, if you're going to be on a stage, then you really want to do it well, which means that it takes me a massive amount of time to prepare something that I think is actually relevant to yeah. the people that I'm going to speak to and figure out how to articulate that, how to put that together. And that takes me away from what I'm called to do, yeah, which is to lead teams, yeah, um, and and make things happen on a practical level. So, I'm I'm really happy to chat with you, but yeah. I'm really happy that there's not hundreds of people sitting there, yeah, um, in the room, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, because it is like because there's so many things that can make you overthink things, right? If someone says that, of um, you know, you should speak, and then you're like, well, it's not really my gifting, then it's like, you know, not 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 that they're saying it, but you can imply it to mean like. You know, well, you're not trusting the spirit of like, like, cause, cause for me, it's like, if I were to go preach a message, I don't have the great like memorization skills, which I know like a lot of pastors, a lot of people preach like just memorizing their stuff and like, that's just not my gifting. But then it's like, 
But if you get up there, and if, if, if you're filled with the spirit, you know, the spirit's going to speak. <laughs> so, so it's like that you're like, but could I do it? Like, am I called to, I, I don't feel called to it, but like, am I doubting something that God has placed? Like there's, I just think there's so many, I just think there's language in it that can just be confusing and just, you know, like, no, I don't enjoy that. I think I'm called to that. So just, let's just leave it at that. Like, I like, I like, like when city preaches a message, we go, we go through it a hundred times at the house. Like I I like doing that. I like tweaking things here and helping her here, adding scripture here and telling her maybe how it could be, how it could be better or whatever. Um, And then she goes and do it. Like, that's it. I don't like being on the stage doing that. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. And I think that it's, it's, the choice is to not allow other people's stereotypes yeah. to, um, or expectations to affect how you live your life. You have the ability to hear from God for you, for your family, um, uh, and and what's going to work best in the dynamic of your family and your ministry and what God's called you to. And it, it's great when other people have opinions, and sometimes it's designed. They feel like it's designed to encourage you, but. I don't think we need to live under their expectations because otherwise you're you get a different set of expectations from every person yeah. that you you run into and they'll have you you should do this and you should do that and you should do the other and it's like well hey, that's really a good idea maybe you should do that. Well, I want to ask you because you know you you talked about traveling internationally earlier because y'all I would honestly say y'all travel more than anybody that I know and I think Satan knows I think any y'all travel more than anybody we know I'll say that. Um, what have you learned the most from traveling all around the world? Um, that people, despite their differences, that some of the the basic needs of people are pretty much the same. People are desperate to find meaning. Um, They want to look look after their family. They um, are looking for purpose in their life. So people, the the more cultures you see, you you see some that are so different, uh, but then when you get to know the people within that, they they actually have so many common needs, so mm-hmm. many common desires. Um, and that's where the, the, the gospel reaches all cultures because everybody's got the same needs and Jesus has come and f- filled all those core needs as far as spiritual, but even the physical. People are trying to look after their family. Um, people are trying to figure out how, um, how do I keep a roof over my head? How do I educate my kids? How do I transmit my uh, morals and ethos and um, the way I want my kids to live? How do I get them to, to, to live that way? So I think that even though so culturally we are so different, if you go from here mm-hmm. to Asia, to the Middle East, to Africa, you get so many things which are quirky, cool or quirky oh, I'm glad I don't live in the middle of that um, yeah. type stuff. Like I, I was in South Africa a while ago and uh, somebody said, oh, so-and-so is going to be offline today because they stole the transformer box for his community. Um, and I looked at him and thought, that, that's odd. And he says, oh, no, it happens all the time. Um, people steal the, the power lines because they want, they want to steal the copper. Um, and I was like, so how do you steal a power line? So like, oh, you drive into the power line with a car and you knock it over and you knock over a couple of other power lines and then you just pull them apart. 
It's like, okay, I'm kind of glad that's not my day-to-day reality. Um, <laughs> it's just not. So, so you see so many different things. Yeah. Um, but you realize that people um, at their core are pretty much the same. Yeah. Because how much, how many weeks out of the year, how many days, like, would you say a year that on average you'll travel? We travel probably 250 plus days a year. And that's like everywhere. That's not just like a little hop and a skip there that's no, no, um, all across the world. <laughs> um, I, I did a trip earlier in the year where I did um, 11 countries in uh, 15 days. Was, it, was, that right after, was that after Passion we were talking about yeah. where you were about to go? Can, yeah. can, you, can you just say some of the places that you were going? Uh, um, uh, it was crazy. We went to Poland, Ukraine, uh, England, Spain, um, uh, Cambodia, Thailand, Australia, and somewhere else. It was just crazy. So it was it was it was a night in each place basically. I slept slept in the same bed twice once. Um, where when we were in the Ukraine, we had, had driven from Poland up to um, the Ukraine and we were the next day we were basically going up to the, the front. Yeah. Um, so we stayed about two hours from the front so we could drive up, be there for, for the day and then get back after dark. Um, so it was, we didn't really want to sleep up there. Yeah. Do you find do you find it difficult like <clears throat> because I think I think that's people always love talk I mean I think we live in a culture where it's like people love their routines and to be consistent and you know all those things but yet if you're traveling 250 plus days there's really not much consistency or continuity to it how do you does that um like is that ever a, a, a struggle for you of you know like when you are home like it like it's hard to feel planted kind of thing or how do you I I love being at home um uh, it it is a highlight. So mm-hmm. um, home, home is always a prize. Home, home with kids, home with um, just your own furniture. Um, being able to get up in the morning, make make a cup of coffee, sit down, have a quiet time in my chair in my corner is just like absolute bliss. Uh, and um, there's there's so much fun at home. Uh, so I love, I, we, we don't travel because we're addicted to travel. We travel because we're addicted to the mission and, yeah. and trying to do what we believe that God's called us to do. Um, but, but no two days are ever, ever the same because, because our world is, involves people in all sorts of different places. You're, you're scheduling meetings at, at odd hours. So, so we we like I said we did a sort of an all staff meeting this week we do which we do once a quarter, so it was seven a.m. for us nine a.m. Central Time, go go Central Time, um, uh, ten o'clock East Coast Time, and then it's five or six o'clock in London, eight o'clock in uh, Greece, eleven o'clock in. Uh, Thailand, 2 a.m. in Sydney. And um, so every, everybody's up and on the phone and mm-hmm. chatting away and all that sort of stuff. 
So the 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 day to day stuff is always different. So I get up in the morning, and I normally talk to Europe in the morning, and um, Asia in the afternoon. Except when I travel to Europe or Asia, it spins everything around. It spins everything around. So I, I've I've I called somebody in a, in Australia one point. Uh, I, I was in Australia, and I called one of the team in Europe. And I'm chatting away as per normal. He's been really nice. And he says, like, hey, Nick, is there, is there anything particularly important that we need to talk about? Or could we talk about this later in the day because it's 4 o'clock in the morning here? <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> and I go, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, out of, I'm, out of, I'm out of whack. Yeah. But um, no, go back to bed. Yeah. Well, you're talking about all these different time zones and not only, you know, like, like, a, like we talked about earlier, not only – do you just support Christine and all she's doing? But I mean, you practically run A21, which is a huge organization in multiple ten, tens of countries and continents. And you do, not that there's, how many, there's seven continents, right? Uh, yeah, uh, that's not 10 plus continents. Yeah, I think there's seven continents. I don't know. I, I'm so bad at geography. But, but I mean, you do so much outside of just helping maybe Christine prep a message or help support her in that you know there's you, you do so much so much stuff can you kind of explain what all you do with a21 where y'all are and maybe the the birthplace of it and the origin of it and really what all y'all are doing because it's it, it's such an incredible mission thanks um yeah a21 our, our our goal is to end slavery everywhere forever and uh, so we, we're currently operating in uh, 19 cities in 15 countries and um, where we have team and and we do everything from trafficking prevention and awareness and education to um, working with police to see uh, people rescued from trafficking and then providing aftercare services and legal services after we've had people rescued so um, have been a part of the conviction of hundreds of traffickers um, it's seen thousands of people rescued from trafficking um, right across the world. Um, everything from 18-month-old kids um, being trafficked for, for sex to uh, 75-year-old men being trafficked for, for forced labour in different countries. And um, so my job is to, um, to keep all that running. I manage the staff, um, have a great team, executive team, who do operations, finance, uh, development, and um, HR, and mm -hmm. and we work to try and manage all of the people in all the the different countries and figure out the 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 different rules for, for employees yeah. uh -huh. in all the different countries. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I can, I mean, 15, 15 countries. That's that's just crazy. Can you kind of give some <clears throat> for those listening, just some statistics on actually how real slavery still is and how real sex trafficking is sex trafficking still is um yet the the latest statistics would say that there's more people in slavery today than ever before um wow. the latest statistics would be that there's 52 million people um actively in enslaved today and that the human trafficking industry is a 52 sorry 150 um billion dollar a year industry um, so it's the fastest growing crime on the earth today um, it, it's growing faster than the uh, trafficking in guns or drugs 
Uh, and it's just, it is across the whole world as far as there isn't a country that you could go to that it doesn't exist in, in some form. And, and it, it, it exists here in the US. One of the things we do here in the US is, is try and educate people um, on how to avoid being trafficked, how to spot trafficking. And one of the things we do in that is a uh, curriculum which is uh, all the way through K through 12. And it's taught by teachers as part of their health and social sciences curriculum. And uh, we've got a new version of that coming out at the moment. And we were just beta testing that at the end of last year, uh, the last academic year. A as an Australian, my year is January to December. As a, in America, I've got to realise that sort of it's like August to <laughs> July. So just at the end of last academic year, we were testing it. And uh, a couple of stories is uh, a young elementary girl um, went to her teacher and said, uh, Miss, that's happening to me. And the teacher says, oh, what do you mean? Says, well, we don't have very much money. And my dad told me that um, the way that I could help pay the family bills is if he took pictures of me naked and he sold them on the internet. And um, so because the teacher had just gone through the whole lesson with what's safe and unsafe, because it's all age appropriate, um, the kid was able to self-identify saying, hey, that's happening to me. And the teacher was able to then know how to contact law enforcement. Um, mm -hmm. Another, in the same week, um, an older group of girls uh, were in a class and it was all on grooming and how people are groomed over the internet and the way the behaviours of people who are grooming somebody to get involved in trafficking. And one of the girls at the end of the class goes to the teacher and says, Miss, that's happening in our school right now. Teacher goes, what do you mean? He says, well, Sally, who wasn't here, is meeting a guy at the airport and uh, he's been talking to all of us girls about modelling jobs. And um, he hasn't seen us, but he's already offered us jobs and we're supposed to meet him this afternoon. So they were able to get FBI involved. So again, because the teacher was educated and the student was educated. When the teacher called local police, um, they were able to refer it straight through to the FBI. FBI were able to get involved and see that guy arrested and none of those girls get trafficked. So for, from, from our perspective, um, we would rather educate people and help them to avoid getting trafficked than yeah. even having to um, engage to get them rescued and restored. Yeah. Um, the less people that get trafficked. The yeah, better. no, for sure. That is just, that is just crazy. I mean, you hear, you hear so many stories like that. And, and I think, I think so often we were kind of talking about, talking about this in the car. I think so often we can think in the U S like that doesn't happen here, but isn't the U S like the lead, like one of the, the like the leading it, countries. It, yeah. The, it's a country where there is lots of active trafficking cases. Um, uh, and, and the, Obviously, traffickers don't report the statistics, so mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to get accurate numbers. But it's there's a, a major amount of trafficking here in the U.S. Um, of both domestic victims um, for sex um, and foreign victims for both sex and labour. Um, so you, the the we we do a whole whole part of our model is 
whenever you have somebody who's vulnerable, then you'll, it will lead to exploitation. Uh, and at, at the moment, we have lots of uh, immigrants here who are incredibly vulnerable. They don't have any money. They don't have a social network. Um, they're looking for opportunity. Um, and that there are then people who will come and offer opportunity, um, which turns into trafficking. Um, we, we had a case just recently where a girl had come to the country, uh, was desperately looking for work, was told, uh, yep, we've got a job for you. Get dressed up. You're going to meet your employers tonight. Um, and it's going to be fantastic, best job ever. Uh, she got all dressed up to meet the boss and got taken out and put on the street, told that if she didn't service men, then she'd get killed. Um, that, is, that is not at all an uncommon scenario um, th where generally people are, uh, one of the, the biggest things that we see is people are trafficked on the basis of the promise of a better life and a better opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give you a particular job. And then it's like, oh, that's not job. That job's not available. But you owe us yeah. um, money because we've helped you get here. So now you have to do this. Um, and, and or um, guys recruiting girls. We, ha we had a situation uh, where a highly intelligent girl, master's educated, um, successful interior design business, went away on holidays with her new boyfriend, walks into a hotel room and um, there's a guy standing in the hotel room and she looks at him and goes, oh, I'm sorry, this is our room and what are you doing here? And she goes, or well, he said to her, says, I own you and her quote unquote boyfriend Gave her a push. He walked out, and his job was literally just to recruit girls and bring them to this other guy, and he would then use them for um, prostitution. That is crazy. Um, but but again, smart, well educated, but conned along the way. Yeah. Um, and then you the use of fear and intimidation, um, threats to your family. It's like I I know where your family lives. Um, so if you don't behave, then I can beat up your mum. Your mum shops at Walmart on 12th Street. Your little brother goes to mm -hmm. um, such and such an elementary school. And, and that fear and intimidation is very real yeah. for, for people. And it's cheaper than drugs. Yeah. That's crazy. What got, what got y'all into this? Like what was the – was there a, a story? Like was there a moment early on where y'all – kind of identified that this is what you wanted to really dedicate much of y'all's lives to? Um, <laughs> yes, yes and no. There was a moment where it was like, somebody needs to do something about that. Um, and it kind of got out of hand as far as the amount of, of work. Because when, when we first came across it, we were already traveling. We were doing a lot of work with church planners and um, evangelism right across the world. But we came to um, Europe and it was years ago when a, a little kid called Madeline had been taken in Portugal and then we were traveling to Greece and we saw all these pictures of missing kids, missing kids, missing kids. And um, uh, we had just had our youngest daughter, Sophia. And 
at the the airport in Greece while we were waiting for our bags. There's all these missing kids. And there was um, one of them was called Sophia. And so Chris is like, she's, when I say just had a baby, it's like six weeks before. So she's, she's emo- emotional. <laughs> she's emotional. Yeah. Um, and she bursts into tears. It's like, oh, well, we've got we to do something about these missing kids. So we go out and ask the people who were with it, like, what's the story with all these missing kids? And said, oh, they're victims of trafficking. And we said, what's trafficking? And so then we started to find out more about it. And our initial goal was that Chris would be a spokeswoman for some trafficking organization and we'd get all of our uh, church planners to partner with them and give a local expression to mission for them. And then as as we started to look for an organization to partner with, we couldn't find anybody who was having much success. I, I met with dozens of organizations and asked one woman to tell me about some of their success stories. And she looked at me and said, oh, you don't have success stories in this. So it's like, okay, well, we've been telling people how to lead mm-hmm. and build and succeed in ministry for years. It's probably time to put up or shut up. Um, so at that point, we thought we would do a shelter in Greece and that would be it. And so it was a case of ready, fire, aim. There's a need. We're going to meet it. We're off and running. And then we we had the office in Greece and we'd hired a guy to, to lead that office. And then we're mapping out, okay, how are we going to find victims and how are we going to help them and who are we going to need and where are they going to come from? So it was an, an evolution um, and it was probably once we already had that office in Greece that we realised that we would have to do stuff in other countries to support people um, who were going back to other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that also involved having to change laws and getting police to enforce laws because in Greece, um, the, the, one of the lowest statistics is that 50% of sexually active men in Greece use a prostitute once a month or more often. So it's a, it's a big part of their culture. So just convincing um, police and society and even people in church that there was trafficking in Greece and that it, it should be stopped was, ha, has been a huge walk. Yeah. So how old, how old is Sophia? Sophia is 17. 17. So this was 17 years ago yep. when you were in Greece and saw that? Yeah. So when did... <clears throat> so A21 has been going on for how many years? 15 years. 15 it's years. our 15th birthday this year. Yeah. So you so you started the, the shelter in Greece and then that kind of birthed yeah. into A21. Is there not something like... I mean, just cause I, I don't know all the ins and outs of, you know, organizations and government. and Is, is there... Like, to what extent is, like, legislation and, like, government involved in, like, I mean, if it's a $152 billion business, like, granted, there's black, there's there's so many underground things in that, but to what extent, why can't governments throughout the world engage in it maybe more than they are? Um, is it, I mean, is it just sin and just <laughs> worldliness? It, it, it's, it's partially sin and worldliness, partially it's ignorance, um, uh, the thing that you have to remember about organized crime is that they're organized. Yeah. So they, they package what they do um, carefully and have lots of risk mitigation measures involved. But 
yes, there's also legislation, and then there's making people aware of legislation. Um, so we, the Ukraine, only passed a law to make slavery illegal about four years ago. Wow. Um, so it it was it was something that wasn't illegal. Yeah. Um, because nobody had written a law to make it illegal in Ukraine, and there are better laws across Europe, but then getting people to recognise and apply those laws. So anytime you have new law, you've got to teach that to the police. And um, we're fortunate here in the US that we've got um, great law enforcement. They're motivated. Um, they're, they're reasonably well compensated, so they're less likely to be bribed. Um, the average guy who puts a, a, a badge and a gun on every day is trying to do the, the right thing and has done it because they want to protect people. But that guy who gets in a, a cruiser and is driving the streets is responsible for all of the different laws. So mm -hmm. he's got to know the traffic law, he's got to know um, the burglary laws, he's got to know, he's going to have some knowledge of vice um, uh, when that comes to drugs and alcohol and all that sort of stuff. So to then educate them on what are the latest laws, what are the latest methods of trafficking is it's hard work. So we do a lot of work to educate law enforcement and educate professionals on where they can see trafficking. And um, so we run the National Anti-Trafficking Hotline in Greece, Bulgaria, South Africa, and Spain. And half of the top, half of the work of those teams is it to educate law enforcement on what trafficking looks like so that they can be proactive in those situations. And we'll often get calls to our hotlines from law enforcement that says, hey, we've got this situation and it looks like trafficking to us. Can you walk us through the criteria that will allow us to, to have a degree of certainty? And then you've got to try, try and get your, you've got to get it through their legal system. And, and sometimes the, the legal systems have got all sorts of hurdles, um, which make getting convictions of those cases hard. So I, I think there is, some places there is bad law, some places there is bad law enforcement, um, and some places bad education. So it's a combination. Yeah. Um, like the US, the US government does a report where they rate each country each year, um, either tier one, you've got good laws and you're tending to enforce them. Tier two, mm, bit iffy. Um, tier two, watch list, extremely iffy. And tier three, it's a really bad, a really bad situation. Yeah. So it's a whole set of circumstances that are around that, um, and it's our job to try and move people all up to tier one. So with all those things, I mean, that's you know, in, in, in the car we were talking about all these difficult and hard things that, that like that you've had to see from like eighteen months old to seventy-five year old men. Like there's there's a lot of things that are hard to stomach, and and and. and Honestly, some things that make you, I don't want to say question God, but question, you know, where is he at in this situation? And like, how is, you know, how are you good in this situation? And like, what do you, like, what, what, what good could come from this? And there might, there might never, never be any good that come, that comes from this. But since you've done that, you know, 17 years ago, since y'all started that, um, you know, obviously you've traveled the world speaking, you've, y'all have done amazing things. Has there ever been anything that, 
you know, a part of what y'all do that have made, made you at times wrestle with, you know, with God and like, how are you allowing such evil like this to happen? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think there are times where you look at situations, look, uh, I was telling Christian about a case we had with, with an 18-month-old that was being sold for sex by um, her mother and stepfather. And you see that and you see hundreds of girls uh, being trafficked in other situations. And, and you wonder where is God in letting that happen? Where's, this, where's the sovereignty? Of, if God is sovereign, why does that happen? Um, and I, I think I, I can't answer the big th th that as a macro question, but the, God's answer to me has been, that I've equipped you and prepared you and your team to be able to help in those situations. I, I'm not. Um, we we, li we live in a fallen world, and that's not my will mm -hmm. that they they are trafficked and that they are abused. Um, but my will is that they be rescued because, and that they that they get to see the love of God demonstrated, and that's why I've sent you. Um, so, uh, A21 is a, is a secular organization in that, um, we're, we're not a, a Christian organization, but we, most of our team are Christians and they, they show the love of God, um, without sort of preaching it to people because, each person that we come across um, will always ask the question. It's like, I've, I've been abused by a lot of people and nobody's ever done it without an without a agenda. What's your agenda? And I can say to people, well, I, I just believe that God wants you to know that he wanted to, to protect you and help you in that situation. Mm -hmm. So that is that. That's the, the best answer I can give to a impossibly complicated question that I would love to. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to know the the ins and outs of um, the sovereignty of God and how that works with such tragedy. Um, uh, we, we've done work in Iraq and seen horrific situations um, and seen stuff in. Uh, Africa and Asia and the US where you you look at it and you go how does that happen especially here in in a great country like America mm -hmm. how, how do we have how can you get away with that yeah um, and you just I, I believe God puts people in the way to try and interdict um, those situations and then provide care uh, and provide hope and provide ways for people to to, to find a relationship with Jesus out of it. Yeah, that's so good. Well, two things I want to end on real quick before we wrap it up. One, um, so people that are hearing this, I hope that, you know, I hope that brings some conviction because there is, that does happen here. You know, it, it, it's super prevalent here. It's, it's you know, like you said, 52 million people worldwide, more than ever in human history. That's just crazy to, to wrap your head around that. And it's, hard, it's hard to fathom. How can people understand like, do you have a web? I mean, I'm sure you have a website. I mean, how can people understand more about what y'all are doing, and even to, to donate or to give, or just to be aware of those things? Yeah, the 
the website is a21.org and there's a whole bunch of things on there there's there's videos um uh, about some of our uh, prevention campaigns called can you see me um there's obviously ways to give um there's there's also a list of 21 things that you can do today in your world in your your environment so that you can be effective um to stop it in your world uh, i'm not sure when this podcast is going to air uh, but in october we've got our our walk for freedom and that'll happen in over 500 cities around the world and uh, you can go to the, the website and we'd love you to be a part of that that's just a uh, a a walk where we highlight the the presence of trafficking um in all those different cities and uh, it, it's fantastic because it's it's very peaceful um, the police love it and it generates so much inquiry as to how what's going on I didn't realize there was trafficking in my community um, and generates information back to the, the, the traffic, anti-trafficking hotlines. Yeah, that's so good. Well, we spent, all, we spent the whole podcast talking about this, which is what I wanted to do, but you are, um, you're also an, an, an adventure junkie, which I wanted to talk about that, but we, we ran <laughs> out of time, but we, I, I just thought that was too deep of a conversation to kind of pivot into talking about you know, mountain biking and, and other things. It was just too deep. What's your next adventure you have coming up? And I want to have you back on the podcast because you've done so many just crazy things throughout the <laughs> world, you know, from, like you said, just from an adventure and just from a fun standpoint. So what, what, what's your next thing that you have coming up? Um, I'm doing the uh, Cape Epic uh, mountain bike race in South Africa in March next year. So it'll be a, it's a 500 mile uh, mountain bike race over eight days with so an average of uh, 60 miles a day and 10,000 feet of vertical climbing uh, through some amazingly harsh and tough territory so it's going to be fun i'm going to i'm going to have to join you on one of this one day i don't know if i'll make the one in next march but uh, at (laughs) at some point i'm going to come on with you it'll be fun you'd love it i would love it It, i would love you'd love the challenge i would love that it's great man well thank you so much for joining me this was awesome um if you listen to this and like you said i hope that that just all the things we talked about just compelled you and just spurred something in you. So visit a21.org and uh, just find out more about it and see how you can donate, how you can give, and how you can be a part of it in any way because it is super prevalent uh, in our world. And I'm just grateful that, Nick, you are able to join me. And uh, where we're at now, like I said, it's LO Conference. So now we're about to go out into the woods and do some four-wheeling and go shoot and go uh, maybe go shoot some guns, shoot some skeet, and do some uh, do some redneck things. So I'm, uh, <laughs> you're from Australia. I'm, I'm not from here, but I'm going to try to – Gonna try to show you how to have a good time in Louisiana. I'm gonna learn to be a redneck. You're gonna learn to be a redneck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let my inner redneck out. Christine's gonna love it. <laughs> We're gonna send her picture of you holding up a dead snake at some point today. <laughs> That'll be fun. She Great. she may, she may not let me back into the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, thanks for joining me. A pleasure. Thank you for the privilege and the honor of being here.